Through the miracle of Internet Radio, the Never Say Impossible show offers a unique opportunity for the sharing of information and a unique opportunity to tell the world your story about your accomplishments, your passions, your products, and how you can be contacted. The show is designed to introduce you to new people who will inspire, motivate, and inform you of innovative ways to breathe new life into your goals and dreams. At NSI, anything is possible until you say it's not. Never Say Impossible Radio, also known as N-S-I-N-D-O-O-D Radio. Those are all capital letters and the ampu sign. I'm Myra, a.k.a. the Never Say Impossible Lady. At NSI, we believe anything is possible if you believe it is or until you say it's not. Today, we're going to be talking about networking with John Spanix. If you're listening to this, undoubtedly, you're a social media fan. Believe it or not, there is a wrong way and a right way to network, no matter what medium you choose, in person or via online. It's not about accumulating tons of business cards or acquaintances on your social media network. What it's really about is building relationships. If you're a celebrity, anything you say is watched and publicized. However, for most of us, we're just another person trying to grow our business or our business agenda. I do believe the more visible you are in your business community, the more apt you are to make connections that are successful. But, and it's a big but, if you are out there running around and not building relationships, you're wasting your time. People do business with people they like, know, and trust. I think social media is a great thing. However, by itself, without personal interaction, you will have less than stellar results. That's why I invited John to visit with us on Never Say Impossible today. Let me tell you just a little bit about him. John Spanis is one of the best networkers I've ever met. He's going to share his secrets with you today. My private nickname for him is The Connector. I've never told him that. John has traveled extensively throughout the world. He has networked with government officials and dignitaries, both here and abroad. He was the international director of the Special Olympics in Washington, D.C., where he guided the growth of Special Olympics for Eunice Shriver and helped to build it into an internationally recognized program for people with intellectual disabilities. He served 
four years in the Middle East as aquatic sports and recreation administrator in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. While teaching swimming on all levels, including competitive swimming, to native children of the region, boy, John knows all about networking, and above all, he knows about relationship building. Well, welcome, my friend, John. Thank you. Wonderful being with you today. I want you to share with our listeners what you do as the president of the United States Water Fitness Association. Would you do that for me, please? Sure. Be happy to. Well, my major interest is aquatics. That means activities around swimming pools. So as a young kid, I started out helping to teach people how to swim, and then I was a lifeguard and a pool director and administrator and so on, president of the American Swimming Coaches and on national boards and committees. And what this organization was formed for 27 years ago was to provide a nonprofit educational organization that could help people to learn more about the benefits of aquatics. Why should they be involved in aquatics? So we promote aquatics nationwide. For example, we're really big into every person in the world learning how to swim because of how swimming can help you in so many ways. We help swimming pools throughout the country to learn how do they pack their pools, how do they get more people involved in their pool activities. And then the major thing is helping people to feel better, enjoying, for example, water exercise or whatever activity they're involved in. So we certify water fitness instructors, aquatic directors, and various different aquatic personnel in a national certification that will help them to learn more about what the field of aquatics is all about. And the key is, how can they help other people? Very admirable, because I can't think of many exercises that are as important as water fitness, particularly for people who may have issues, even as you, when you worked at the Special Olympics for people with developmental issues, they found that water and water therapy is very beneficial for anybody with disabilities and physical disabilities. I myself have a physical disability, so water is fantastic. Well, I thank you for sharing that with us, and later on I'm going to ask you to give your information so if anybody who is really interested in promoting what they're doing with their pool on their facilities or in their gym, they can contact you. Now, let's get to the big topic of networking. What is correct networking all about, and why should entrepreneurs, business people, and just about everybody from politicians down know about networking? Networking is all about making and using contacts, making 
and using contacts. And there are basically four reasons why people should network. Number one is to find people who can help you and your organization. Two, to learn something that can help you and or be important to you and your organization. Three, possibly find a mentor. And four, to secure contacts that can help you in the future. For example, to give you the inside for a job that you might want, to help you to get on a special committee or board, to help you to join a special group like Chamber of Commerce, Rotary, Kiwanis, sports teams, Toastmasters, whatever, and just to be uh, a long-term contact for you. So that's basically what networking is and why you should get involved in it. I can't agree more. I, when I first started networking, it opened the door for so many opportunities. But I wasn't quite sure how to do it, and I'm, I'm talking about years ago. And I think there's a lot of mistakes people make, but we're going to get to that. I'd like to ask you, for the newbie, for a person who is now a baby boomer, for example, they've just retired, they're, they're starting their own business, they've always been safe under the umbrella of the organization or company they worked for. Now they're out there on their own. Where is the best place to start? Well, I'm not sure there's a best place. I know that there are many places. Uh, first, I would say try to get invited to an organization's meeting or get active in an organization, like a local organization would be the Chamber of Commerce, Toastmasters, Civic Clubs, like Kiwanis, Rotary, Lions, or other organizations. Then there are, of course, state and national organizations, and then attend various meetings in your community. There are meetings that are held at the library on interesting subjects. And then one that I really like is church, because that's where I found my significant other uh, nine years uh. ago. So church is a great place to make contacts. There are conferences, but anytime you're out where other people are, you can network. Uh, as you come in contact with, with people, remember that your time and their time is very valuable. And remember that time is money for you and for the person that you're making contact with. So don't waste your time or other people's time because every minute of your life is important. You're very right about that. People look to make contacts that they already know when they walk into a, a meeting. And it can be very intimidating for a person who's just begun to network seriously. Because if you just do it once in a while and you collect business cards and throw them in the drawer, we all know that <laughs> that doesn't work because it's the familiarity of seeing people. And I think social media does fit into that because Sometimes it can take the edge off the 
fear that some people may be experiencing walking into a room that's filled with people who all seem to know each other and connecting to one another, and there you are all by yourself. So when you make contacts on social media beforehand, it is a way of feeling less uncomfortable because everybody's picture is on social media. So you see people you recognize and maybe you're connected to. But bottom line is you need to get out there and do the work. So now we're going to talk about what do you do once you spot somebody or you've singled out who you want to meet? Isn't it important that you know what you're looking for and who you're looking for when you go out to meet people? Myra, that's so important because we should be very selective regarding who we're going to spend time with. We need to discover people who, who can help us and know how they might be able to help us. There are three different types of people to discover. First would be the top priority people. They can help you big time. Second, they're good people. There are lots of good people out there. And then third, the lower level people that maybe you don't need to spend a lot of time with. But I think you need to know how to organize your plan to network. Some people have no plan. They don't have any idea what they're doing. They don't have any idea what it's all about. So I say select a specific person who you want to or need to connect with. So go to a meeting or someplace where you're you know exactly who you want to meet. Years ago, I went to a conference at Yale, and I was at that time a swimming coach that was just beginning in the field. And the world's best-known swimming coach was the coach at Yale. His name was Bob Kippeth. He was the greatest swimming coach of all times up to that point. So I wanted to meet him. So he was speaking at the conference. He did a, a one-hour presentation. And afterwards, I walked up to him and introduced myself. And he said, oh, John, anytime you're in New Haven, feel free to come to my workout. So I called him the next week and said, I'm going to be in New Haven. Could I come to one of your workouts? And he said, sure. He told me what time. So I drove seven hours to New Haven, Connecticut and went to his workout, and then drove seven hours home. But I made a good, solid contact with him, and he became my top mentor. Then there was another person I wanted to meet that was being given an award. His name was Joe Clark. There's a movie called Lean on Me, and he was a very well-known principal of a school that really settled down the students and was on the cover of a magazine, and I wanted to meet him. Another time, I was going to a meeting where Jack LaLanne was going to be, and he was at that time the father of fitness in the United States. So I selected a specific person that I wanted to or needed to connect with. But I say that you always need to be prepared. Be prepared for surprises because the, you might come across a person 
that you never expected to meet. And that's happened to me. For example, I used to do some things for the State Department, and they would send me around the world to speak on various subjects. And I was meeting with my contact at the State Department. I walked out of the building. I needed to get a cab back to my office. And there was a guy standing there. And so I was looking for the cab, and I happened to glance over, and it was Henry Kissinger. What a surprise. And so I developed a, a contact with him and had a lot of fun. Then another one, I was at the 1972 Olympic Games in an administrative capacity, and I was in the VIP section, all set to watch Mark Spitz set another world's record that night. I happened to turn around, and in walks Kirk Douglas and his wife. And so I walked back to him and handed him my card, told him that I was National Aquatics Administrator in the United States. And he said, John, I don't know anything about swimming. I used to be a wrestler. Would you mind sitting with us tonight? So I said, oh, I'd be happy to. (laughs) And I was sitting there, and I was pointing people out in the VIP section. Mark Spitz's mother and father were there, and I pointed them out. And he said, John, I've never met them. Would you introduce me? So I went down, and I said, hey, Lenore, how would you like to meet Kirk Douglas? And, oh, Johnny, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I've loved them for years. So I took Mr. and Mrs. Spitz up to meet Kirk Douglas, and he enjoyed talking to him. And he said, well, how would you like to all go out for dinner tonight? So we went out for dinner, and then he was taking me back to my hotel, and I said, well, I'll see you tomorrow night. And he said, oh, John, we don't have VIP seats. I said, I can get them for you. So I worked all day that next day getting tickets for him to get into the VIP section. Well, then we developed this friendship that lasted for years. He would call me, and he would write me notes, and we would have the best time. And then I told him I was doing a nationally televised swimming meet for CBS and told him that I was bringing in top athletes from around the world. And he said, well, John, would you like me to come over? And I said, sure. So he came over with his wife, and I introduced him to all the swimmers from around the world and to... Um, Jack Kelly, Grace Kelly's brother, and he stayed for a while, and then he came over to me and said, John, would you mind if I leave? I took Ann to the hospital before I came over here. I said, why did you come over here? He said, because we've developed this friendship, and I wanted to see you, and I wanted to meet other people. So there I had developed that relationship that created a strong bind, and who would ever believe that I would develop a friendship with Kirk Douglas? But I was surprised. Then, when I worked for the Kennedy Foundation, I met a lot of interesting people. We had a big dinner at the Felt Forum in New York City for all the sportscasters, broadcasters, athletes that had supported Special Olympics. And I had a table of eight people. I had the lesser of the people. To my right was Roberta Flack, 
to my left was Howard Cassell, and Cheryl Teague was across at the other side of the table. And then also I got to meet Carol Channing and Frank Gifford and people like that. So you need to be surprised or need to be ready for surprises. Yes, and I think what you're illustrating is that if you don't get out there and you don't put yourself forward as an equal to everyone, you are doing yourself a disservice. It's obvious that you had developed this method of, no, I'm not afraid. I'm not insecure. I am equal to everyone in this room. And it, it, it took you far. But what about the person who's basically an introvert? Can they learn to know what to say when they're meeting someone that they perceive as powerful and they're a little intimidated? Well, the important thing to remember is that we're all people. Mm -hmm. And people talk to other people or don't talk to other people. But I think that when you're thinking about talking to another person, you have to have a well-planned-out introduction. And I say, start by saying something in your first sentence that would really get their attention. Because if you come up to a person and just start talking about the weather, that doesn't work real well. But if you do talk about something that might get their attention, that will really help you. And this is where you use what I call a gimmick. A gimmick is a tricky plan. It's a tricky plan. It's a tricky plan to get uh, their attention and to have them focus on just you and nobody else in the room. An example might be when I see you on my TV, my eyes are glued to the TV set, and I listen to every word that the person on TV is saying. Well, that's what you need to do. You need to glue your eyes on the person that you're trying to talk to. And I have heard, like you can say, I have heard about you for years, and I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you. Or, wow, I never thought I would ever meet you in person. Or, I see you as an expert in the field that excites me most. But we need to remember that we only have a short time to talk to this person. So don't say dumb things or things that might sound stupid to the person. You need to be flexible, and you need to be able to change what you did plan to say. And according to you, this is the type of person you're speaking to, uh, the person's general attitude about you, their interest in what you're saying, what your goals are, how long you predict you have to talk to the person, how long you can talk to them before they lose interest in listening to you and what you're saying. Sometimes you're very fortunate that you have a captive audience. Two uh, exciting ways might be, first, if you're on an elevator with them. Second, if you're in a car or limousine with them. 
So it could be a cab, a limousine, a private car, but you have their undivided attention. They're your captive audience. Usually, people are not a captive audience. Often, a lot of people are around, and so you have a very difficult time really getting their attention. So say something in your opening sentence that captivates them, that makes them look at you or think about you. Now, one of the important things that I really work on is what I call elevator speeches. These are words that are based on your getting on an elevator and seeing a person. Well, if you get on an elevator at the first floor, you don't know if the person that you see in the elevator is going to the second floor or the third floor or the top of the building. So it's important to have three different kinds of elevator speeches. One is one minute, another is two minutes, and another is three minutes. With Henry Kissinger, I used a one-minute elevator speech and said something that got his attention. And when I said it to him, he laughed, and his eyes sparkled, and he focused on me, but it was because of that elevator speech. So you need to be prepared to extend or reduce the length of time you have to talk to them. You might have one minute. You might have two minutes. So think about the elevator speech. Well, you said something I think that's very important. You said that you focus on the person, your eyes are locked, and although you didn't express this, what you were actually saying is that you were saying something about that person. It wasn't about me. It's it's not like, hello, I'm the this and this and this and that representative, and they're going, oh, God, another one. <laughs> you know, you you actually expressed the, the opening sentence that you say should really be in some way about that person to captivate them. We're going to take a short break, and we when we come back, I uh, want you to tell everybody where they can reach you, and we're going to talk about a little bit more about your networking special tips plus your ability to connect people. So don't go away out there in cyberspace. We'll be right back. chapter of my newest book, Dancing on Your Disabilities, Never Say Impossible to Your Dreams, My Story of Perseverance, Passion, Hope, and Happiness. Dreams do come true despite adversity. If I can do it, you can do it too. Hello again. This is Myra, and we're back, and we're talking to John Spanis. John, would you tell everybody what your contact information is, please? My private personal telephone number is 561-734-9999. And if I'm not available at that time, you can just leave a message. Um, We have a website. The United States Water Fitness website is www.uswfa, that stands for United States Water Fitness Association.com. 
so those are two of the ways that people can learn more about me or talk to me, ask questions, whatever it might be. Yes, and if you need a little mentorship on how to network for your particular field, John's the one to ask. And if you want to know more about what to do with your gym and the pool that's not being used, John's the one to ask. I mentioned in the beginning of this interview that I call you the connector because you've been so instrumental for me in connecting me with people when I met you at Toastmasters. I happened to meet John Spanith at Toastmasters about five years ago. But your history as a connector, which you just explained in that entire story about Kirk Douglas and Mark Spitzer and so forth, was connecting people to one another. But one of my favorite stories, because I'm a speaker, is how you connected the the famous Bill Gold to Steve Hebold, who is now a multi-million dollar speaker. Would you share that with our audience? Well, I knew Bill Gove. He was known as the father of public speaking, and he really loved people and speaking to groups. And a person moved into the little office next to me at one point, and I walked over and introduced myself and welcomed him to the building. And it was so interesting because I asked him what he did, what kind of work. He said, well, I used to be a pro tennis player, and I coach pro tennis players, and now I like to speak to little groups. And I said, speak to little groups? I have a friend you have to meet. He said, who's that? I said, Bill Gove. He's the best-known speaking coach in the world. He said, what's his name? I said, Bill Gove. He said, how do you spell it? I said, G-O-V-E. He said, no, I never heard of him. I said, I'm going to take you guys out for lunch. And so I went back over to my office, and Steve comes running over. He had just Googled Bill Gove. And he <laughs> said, how soon can you take me out to lunch with Bill Gove? So I set it up. We went out for lunch. They hit it off. They did a lot of things together. They became partners, and they spoke all over the world. And one day, Steve came running into my office and said, John, I'm going to speak to a group of 15,000 people. How do I do that? And then we talked about that and talked about how Bill could help him. But now Steve is in the top 5% of all the professional speakers in the world. So he's learned a lot. He made a contact with Bill Gove, and he used that contact. And that's what it's all about, the connections that we can make. Yes, and I found that so true. By the way, it's because of John I took the Bill Gove speech workshop, which is held by Don and Steve Seabolt. And it has unbelievably changed my ability to speak because I was speaking for years. I was a trainer and I would speak before large groups, groups of up to a thousand people. And I really didn't know what I was doing. I liked people and I liked speaking, but I really didn't know what I was doing. I knew I knew my subject. I knew my topic, which was the cosmetic industry and I was training girls that were becoming cosmeticians and going behind the counter and so forth. 
for a large corporate company, but I really didn't understand what speaking was all about until I took it. And that's all because of you, John. And by the way, John is available to speak at uh, your organization if you want him to speak. He's also an incredible speaker. You didn't mention that about yourself. (laughs) You're wonderful. So that's why I call you the connector, because you have this uncanny ability to connect one person with another person. You see the value in a person and you know where and how they should be connected. So that's one of the shining examples of how well John does as a networker and as a connector. Now, I have a question for you, getting back to networking. What I did initially when I started networking was probably the worst thing anybody could do. It seemed as though people were always shoving business cards in my hand. And I was meeting people, and I would get these cards. And at the end of the night, I would have 10 or 15 cards. And I couldn't remember who was who. And I didn't know what to do, so I would take them home. I mean, every now and then, I would the ones I would remember, I would send a little message out over the Internet saying, it was a pleasure meeting you, and let's get together later on and figure out how we can be of assistance to one another. But for the most part, I took those cards, put a rubber band around them, and put them in the drawer, stacks of them. So in my opinion, I was doing something very foolish. I was, one, wasting time, which you just described, time is money. I was not using the contacts I was meeting. I didn't even know what to do with all the cards. There were so many. So they just became these huge amounts of cards with rubber rubber bands around them. How long should you stay in contact with a person, and how long should you keep a business card? Well, I would say that uh, you keep a fan list and keep all the potential helpers up to date on your activities then when you determine that a person was absolutely of no interest to you or hearing from you, remove them from your fan list. Okay. But business cards can be very, very important. And networking is making and using contacts. If you just make the contact, you meet a person, you get their card, that's not networking because you really haven't got, gotten to the important part of it, using the contact. So I say always exchange business cards if it's a person that you really need to stay in contact with. So I'm usually wearing a sport coat. I have my business cards in my left coat pocket, and I shake hands with my right hand, and as I'm shaking hands with them, <laughs> I pull the card out of my pocket, hand them to them, and then ask the person for their card. And then what I do is I write down the person's contact information 
on the front of the card. And after you leave the person or when you have a few minutes, uh, write down on the back of the card what you want to remember about your conversation. What did you learn about the person? How might they be able to help you? What mutual contacts do they have? What you want to really connect with with a person? So then the important thing is to follow up with a person. If you don't follow up, you haven't networked. You have just set or just met the person, not really networked. The example, Bob Kippeth, Kirk Douglas, mm-hmm. they followed up. So mm-hmm. decide how long you are really interested in having that person help you. And that's how long you should try to stay in contact with them. It's amazing because sometimes you meet somebody, you send out, you know, hello, it was wonderful speaking with you last evening or at lunch or wherever. And you don't hear anything. And then surprise, surprise, a month later, you get an email from somebody saying, I'm sorry it took me so long to get back to you, but so you never know, and if you don't try. So if you send out one email, because this is different than a long time ago, everybody relies on the email and the email list and so forth, and you don't get a response, should you try again or move on? It depends how important that person can be to you. Remember, there are people that you have absolutely no interest in staying in contact with. If you just want to have conversations with people, that's nice. But you have to think about your priorities. Who are the priority people that you're dealing with And how long do you want to stay in contact with them? If they can no longer help you, then you decide how much interest you want to give that person in the future. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, this may be more of an issue for me because, as you know, I travel on a scooter. So I've gone to very big, large networking events, usually events at the chamber like they have them at the convention center. And uh, these are the people that I like to meet, the heads of corporations and so forth. But I found in many situations when a room is extremely crowded and everybody is talking, the people that you really want to get to are surrounded by a lot of people. How do you... I mean, for me, that's really difficult. I might cut off a few people's toes on my scooter. But in general, it's difficult to get to very influential people. How do you work that crowd? You have to decide who the people are that you want to talk to and spend time with. Like I said before, time is money. And you have to decide how much time do you want to spend with people. Do you just want to chit-chat? Or do you really have in your mind who the person or persons are 
that you want to get to. And yes, people are often surrounded by lots of other people. Sometimes you have to be a little patient to get up in the front and to talk to them. But I would say if I were in a scooter, I'd sort of mow some people down and get (laughs) right up to the speaker. You know what's funny about uh, being in scooter? When I first went into a scooter, which was somewhere in the last, um, I don't know, five years, on a regular basis, I thought that it would make me invisible. That was my opinion of it. And somebody very wise said to me, oh, contraire, it's just the opposite. You're the one they're not going to forget because you're in the scooter. And I say it's a tool when you really think about it. So it's not just another pair of stilettos coming into the room. Uh, It's someone in a scooter, and people are going to wonder who that is in the scooter. So it gives you more of an air of importance, believe it or not, than it does if you're just another person. So it's all an attitude in how you look at it. I was looking at it the wrong way and allowing it to intimidate me. Now I feel, well, I am here. Hear me roar. You know, so it is attitude and your ability, what you described when you walked up to Kirk Douglas and his wife, is attitude. You had an attitude of competence. And John is one of the most positive people I've ever met in my life, ever. You just don't find John on a down day. He doesn't allow it in his life, regardless of the stuff that's happening around him. He has developed a way of thinking to overcome this kind of, mm, it's a lousy day, I feel lousy. He he really has, and if you want to spend a minute speaking about that, because you're a real pro. Well, number one, you have to have guts. You have to be able to do things. And I've known a lot of people that would just stand back and be quiet, and they're living their life the way they want to. But to me, I love life, and I think it's so exciting that we have all these choices that we can make. So I, cho- I choose to have joy and happiness in my life, and no one on this planet is going to ruin this day for me. I love people. I love what I'm doing. I know what my priorities are, and I'm going to remember that it's all about the quality of our life while we're here. And you hear a lot of people talking about, oh, I'm getting old and I can't do this. Well, getting old is a mindset. We learned years ago how you act or look when you're older. And if you want to look like that when you get older, you can. Or I choose to really be very positive about life. And I think there are 10 answers that you can get when people ask you how you are. And... Number 10 on the list is sensational. Number one is no answers in tears or it's a bad day or 
not too good or pretty good, but sensational is number 10, and that's where I stay. I love life and what it's all about, and I love helping people and doing things for really good people. Well, you certainly are an example of positive energy, positive networking, and a person who lives life to the fullest and doesn't accept life as a form of simply existing. You, you face life as opportunity, endless opportunities, and I think that's wonderful. I absolutely love it. And John, I thank you for spending your time with us. And I'd like to tell everybody that his information, his contact information is in the blog. So if you're listening, you listen to this and want to contact John, it's also in the blog. So you're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much, John. Thank you very much, Myra, and I have great respect for you, and I admire you for so many reasons. You have shown people what can be done, and I just love hearing you speak at meetings because you can't take your eyes off you because you're so excited about life and what you're all about. So thank you very much for being one of my best friends in the world. Wow, the feeling's mutual. Thank you out there in cyberspace for listening. You can find us on facebook.com forward slash Never Say Impossible Radio. Remember to like the page when you visit. You can also find us listed as, these are capital letters, NSI, the ampusign for and, D-O-O-D radio on Stitcher.com, iTunes, TalkShoe.com, TuneIn.com, and on my website at http semicolon forward slash forward slash MyraGoldick.com. All you have to do is hit the show archive or search through the radio shows. And until next time, never say impossible. You've been listening to Never Say Impossible, a show created to inspire, motivate, and inform the public with unique guests and content. NSI is a powerful way to connect with millions of people all over the world. Visit NSI at Myra's website, www.myragoldick.com.